1: Welcome back in third and final hour of the program here on Friday morning. And that means it is time to be joined as we are each week by New Bedford City Council President Linda Morad. And joining her today is Councilor-at-Large Shane Burgo. Good morning, Councilors. How are you? Good
2: morning.
1: Good morning, Tim. Hopefully you're both staying cool today. Yes, I was just telling
2: (laughs) Councilor Morad that I have my AC on preemptively.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think you have to, yeah.
3: I walked the dog this morning and I had to come in and uh, go immediately into the shower. It's so humid.
1: This this is one of those days where you have to have the air conditioning running, even if you don't feel like you need it. Like you said, it's it's pre gaming, <laughs> Counselor Burgo, with <laughs> with the air conditioning. So uh, one. Hey, Tim, so wait a minute, Tim.
3: In the morning, when you know that uh, Counselor Burgo is going to be with me. Um, why don't you make
1: a musical selection that he can sing to? <laughs> hey, we can. I, I can find karaoke versions of any song you want, Counselor. So
2: oh, We'll plan for that for next time for well, sure. We'll yeah. have
1: to have you come in in studio sometime and, and perform for us. Oh, wonderful! So, uh, first of all, uh, Council President Moore, let me just start off with with this question. Uh, last week, when we talked, I had asked you if you had planned to run for mayor, and you said that um, that you your intention was to run for your at large position again, but that you know things could change. And here we are on the final day to pull out the nomination papers. Has anything changed? Uh, no, nothing's
3: changed at this point in time, um, and you know I do plan to submit my signatures for certification for my position at counselor at large and um i I know that there's three more days is that right it's due august 1st i think that's tuesday so uh, we'll see um i don't imagine anything will happen between now and then but if it does um you know we'll assess our position
1: so but you don't have papers already to run for mayor.
3: no i have papers to run for counselor at large that's what i told and that's what i've had people sign
1: Okay, just just clarifying because we don't want to get any confusion, like what happened with Councillor Gomes, so we want to make sure that people understand what's what's going on and speaking of what's going that's, on I'm oh, sorry go ahead that's good,
3: but
1: i'm confused every day so. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you on that. Uh, one of the big topics of discussion today has been uh, this new planned school, Jack Spillane has a column, so we were we were discussing about that the the planned uh, combination of the vaals and Congdon school, and I know Councillor Burgo that you were on the Uh, the U.S. City Council's representative on the site selection committee. And one of the questions that came up about this is if that Goodyear site is safe to put a school on. I I can't imagine it's gotten this far in the process if it isn't. But how can we alleviate concerns that people may have about whether or not this might turn into another situation where there's um, contamination found once the school is built?
2: Yes, that was definitely a huge concern, especially among my colleagues. Um, we did receive i want to say it's a, a 1500 page uh, report um you know michelle paul um oh i'm blanking on her actual title but <laughs> she's um oh my goodness why can't i think of what her job title she's was the in envi- the city.
3: environmental and resilience director yep
2: beautiful thank you yes and uh, i'm very confident um you know in her statement that they did find that there is no contamination at the time that the any remediation that was done was done properly um, I'm sure I think in Jack, and I think they also mentioned that there was a housing development uh, slated to possibly be put there in um, the, the rigorous process they went to to make sure that, that it was also not contaminated. So unlike uh, some past situations that we've had uh, this time around, we are very confident um, that there is no contamination there and it is going to be very safe for our students.
1: And, and this is a situation where, you know, we've talked about this a little bit where, you know, ideally you might want to have two new schools built, but the reality of the situation is that's just not going to happen. You're not going to get that kind of funding soon enough for to fit the need. So combining the schools is, is the best option. Um, can you talk a little bit, Council Bergo, about that discussion with the site selection of how you're going to be able to bring together uh, essentially the, the student bodies of two different schools?
2: yeah so that i think was one of the other bigger challenges as well because you're thinking you know originally it's only about 400 students but now combining it i believe the number is about 760 students um so of course the building needs to be larger the space needs to be larger um, but it is more cost effective that way when you're thinking about splitting your resources to do two different sites um so i think it, it's more feasible especially in the long term when you're talking about staffing purposes uh, of two different facilities Uh, Now there's only one facility to maintain. Um, You know, uh, some are aware the Condon and Deval School—they're both, you know, I believe over 100 years old, built in the early 1900s. They're not in great condition. Um, Of course, we could use the money that we have to try to fix them up and get them back into working condition. But at this time, it makes more um, cost, uh, you know, feasibility to actually just build a new structure on that Goodyear site, which will give them you know there was a criteria that we were graded on Um, it was like the educational programming of the school whether or not the classrooms work well together are able to uh, you know collaborate as teachers and educators that was very important for them you know then we look at the actual building design itself uh, whether or not there's security and safety in this building the windows are great Uh, you know we talked about solar issues and uh, other potentials for expansion um, and then of course we look at the actual site score the site design where it's going to be i know one of the other options that we had besides the goodyear site uh, was an expansion on the current location at Duval's, where we would have had to expand into an, a plaza area that uh, abutted a um, mechanic um, which i believe jack talks about in his article Um, So the fumes that possibly could come from that business, uh, the noise, uh, you know, all those things were also concerned. And then there's just logistical scoring um, in terms of constructability, um, impact to education, because you have to realize now we have to build this. um, And obviously the students aren't going to be able to be inside the building while it's building, um, which, you know, construction, if everything stays on course, won't begin until the spring of 2025. And then it will be completed in the fall of uh, 2026. And then it actually, the doors won't open until January of 2027. So this is a very long process. We're just in the early stages of it. Um, But this way, you know, building on a new site as well, uh, the educational, um, you know, impact won't be as high because the students can still stay in their current locations until the school building is ready to open. And, well, and
3: there were other there were other logistics than that too. Council was where they were concerned. You know, they would have to take the, the kids out of the existing building. They have to find a location for them to be educated during the construction period. And you know, as you said, you're talking about 300 plus children. They're trying to you know bus them to wherever the location is going to be, et cetera. And you know, that is unsettling to the students as well.
1: And, and, Council President Morad, part of this discussion, too, involves, you know, taking land by eminent domain, which, as we've discussed with some of the other other projects that have been going on, is, is never really an easy process.
3: No, not at all. And, you know, um, I was concerned, and um, I do want to speak on one issue, though, that you raised about a combined school and the student body. But regarding eminent domain, I, mean, I, I get concerned that, you know, we're not paying fair market value to the owner of the property the owner of that property has owned it for uh, 15 plus years, probably more than that. Has paid almost $100,000 a year in taxes. Uh, in addition to that, we, we chuckle a lot about that property. He's continually ticketed because he has it looks like a it looks like a field or a meadow, in the, you know, in the middle of the city, that's called overgrowth. So you know, he's ticketed for having overgrowth. He was in that, that would be a meadow. Um, And, you know, so he's paid those fines, et cetera. But, you know, we ought to compensate him at a fair rate. And so I was pushing the other night for us to be sure that we do an appropriate appraisal by a, um, you know, a firm that is certified to do this type of uh, appraisal work. And I was assured by the solicitor, although I haven't heard from him, that there are two... Uh, firms that they've selected one that we've used before that would in fact give us a fair market value because if we do end up with a fair market value and that fair market value is greater than the amount that the property owner put on the rfp which is 3.9 million then there is no eminent domain taking
1: and and you said that you had a concern about combining the the student bodies
3: no uh, no uh, well you raised the issue about having the students being you know in a larger school and that is a concern, but on the other side of that, you know, for years now we've heard about the trauma that fifth graders go through when they have to go from their small elementary school to one of our middle schools, and, you know, those are much bigger facilities. This might mitigate that. So kids will be in a, a larger building, multiple floors, uh, et cetera, and that might help with the trauma of having to move from a small school to something larger. Only time will tell that.
1: Yeah, I mean we we look at the idea of you know New Bedford being fortunate to still have the somewhat neighborhood schools model where you you do know the the kids that you're going to school with and it and it is something that um is far less traumatic to go through but uh, it's it's also a bit of a luxury these days to have something like that too because a lot of municipalities they're just putting all their kids together and you're stuck in there from day 1 with kids that you've you've never seen in your entire life. Yeah, that's
3: true. I mean, I we'll I see.
1: I was going to say, there's probably sometimes kids go in and they don't they don't know a single face in their classroom before they even even start start the school year. So,
3: yeah, I mean that might be the result of how, what, why I'm so nuts. I mean, when I was growing up, the only school in the north end was the Campbell School. That's about a mile and a half from my home. And that's where I went to elementary school. And um, certainly, I did, some of the kids in my neighborhood were in that school, but the bulk of the children in that school were from areas that I had never seen as a five year old. <laughs>
1: now councillor burgo i'm I'm not going to be remarking on the age difference between you and council president Morad, but you you were in elementary school and a little bit sooner uh a little bit more recently what was what was that process like for you to go from you know a smaller school to going into a larger school
2: well so um, my, oh, sorry so I had gone to a number of schools because I moved around the city a lot um so I had actually started out at um the GOM School for a while, Um, and then I had transitioned over to Kearney Academy, go Mustangs, Um, and then from there, there was uh, a situation where I almost moved or our our family almost moved to Florida, um, and then we didn't end up moving to Florida, which is such a fortunate uh, situation for New Bedford, because I ended up staying, Um, but because, (laughs) because of that transition of possibly going to Florida and not I, that's when I had discovered, well, not me, but my mom at the time um, discovered the new opening of the new Bedford Global Learning uh, Charter Public School. Um, and so that middle, it, that's where I went for middle school essentially because they had up to grade eight. But um, the charter school at the time was only at the first level, I mean, uh, sorry, excuse me, at the top level of the Paul Roger administration building. So I think it's the third floor. Um, so it was a very small school, especially compared to our other middle schools that we have. So my big transition was from the charter public school to New Bedford High School, and that was terrifying, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I remember the first day uh, just walking uh, you know, around uh, the perimeter of the building, not knowing, okay, which door do I go into? And then once you got in, you know, just our home room alone was probably larger than my actual graduating class uh, at the the charter school. Um, So it was, uh, I guess, as they say, a culture shock. But I adapted very quickly, uh, especially with all the different, uh, you know, programs and uh, after school activities that New Bedford High School has. It was, uh, it was very exciting.
1: So I'm assuming then that that you know, kind of entered into your mind is working on the site selection committee to say, you know, you wanted a place that could be a sense of community for these students.
2: Yes, for sure. And I, and I think, too, the, the idea behind uh, being in the community and, and not having a situation where you're too cramped on a site, you can't play outside, uh, and then also just inside a building. I, I think about, as you mentioned, back to when I was in middle school, we only had one floor. So it was very challenging to do anything. We didn't have a gym class. We did uh, what they call Tang Soo Do, which was just in one tiny room and that was our exercise for the day. So making sure students have a wide range of space to do not only physical activity, but educational learning, hands-on learning, and also to have the equipment that we see in so many other learning institutions uh, to really help that learning process and help them grow as students. But also thinking about the faculty and staff um, and the equipment that they need to, uh, you know, educate our students properly.
1: There, so there, I'm, I'm also getting some questions from folks because there was talk about putting housing on that Goodyear site before, and people are wondering now what will happen with that going to become a school site. Uh, Council President Moret, is there any, any knowledge that you have about what might happen with any future housing developments in that area then? So that site,
3: like if it's selected for the... Placement of the school would no longer be eligible, obviously, mm-hmm. for any housing. And the way I understand it, the developer who submitted a long letter uh, as part of the record the other night was going to put um, 180 affordable units on that site. He then was, got some pushback from the city, so we modified his his uh, plan for 60 market rate and 120 affordable. I'm not sure where that's going to go. I mean, this is a two a double-edged sword here. We're looking for places like that, large lots of land where we can, you know, build affordable housing. It's definitely needed. Uh, you know, we, I pushed in the meeting and I think a couple of my other colleagues might've agreed with me that I'm getting concerned about the fact that this is now the third building in the South end that we've abandoned um, in a neighborhood. These these two schools. Now we just recently dunbar has been naked for 15 plus years. We just recently closed on Dunbar, and it's going to end up being six units. Uh, That's that's what we get out of the next two schools. It's not anywhere close to the 180 units. So, uh, you know, there's two sides to this, uh, sword. I I just don't know. Um, I get concerned sometimes that the administration is maybe talking out of both sides of the mouth, but we'll have to see. We definitely need the housing, and I know Councilor Burgo agrees with that comment.
2: Yes, I, I, you know, just to expand on that too, I think the other challenge, you know, and as, you know, Council Morin alluded to was, you know, to build a new Bedford is just too challenging. Uh, you know, we're, we're in situations where, you know, the easiest thing to do is build small units, you know, like the Dunbar School, as mentioned, only six units. Uh, and that's what we've seen uh, in the past few years of just this little trickle of housing, which, you know, any housing is better than no housing. However, um, you know. I'm hoping, based on the you know magical plan that was released by the Mitchell administration, um, you know that we'll, we really will be working at looking at how we can streamline the process so that way, when these housing developments come about, they're getting all the support they need because we need housing, not just in New Bedford, uh, not in just the Commonwealth, but throughout the entire nation. Um, and so, I'm hoping that uh, there will be other locations uh, for this developer. Um, you know, we do have, a, we've had meetings before uh, in city property where we discussed a lot of the, uh, you know, vacant locations um, that are city owned properties. Uh, Cause I know another concern that we had about taking the Goodyear site was it's another, you know, private taxpayers that were taking off of the, you know, tax rolls. Um, so that is definitely another concern that we, we you know, consider when taking these uh, votes and making these decisions
1: and uh council president morad um the rfp process is now going to be beginning too speaking of you know unutilized buildings in the south end to be able to take the police station and two of the fire stations and be able to uh you know put those out for rfps to see if they can be developed into something else
3: yep and um, we passed that unanimously i asked that there be a 60-day turnaround on that regarding how long would be the rfp would be out and open You know, I I get concerned the administration continues to extend these RFPs, which, you know, I think that's great, but we're not, you know, we're not accomplishing what we want to do. And we're doing the same thing over and over. So at the end of 60 days, if for some reason um, these buildings have not had any interest and haven't moved in any way, we need to look at a different way to, to offer them incentivize whoever is going to take the property over, whether it's monetary incentive or, you know, some kind of commitment on the part of the city that would help them take the properties, uh, redevelop them and then put them back on the tax rolls. We we just can't leave these buildings everywhere. Not only are they a blight in the neighborhood, but they're, they cost the city, we have to maintain them and you want to keep them up to a level where when someone does eventually buy them, they're not, you know, falling apart.
1: So, and uh, just in the final few moments that we have here, uh, Councilor Bergo, I know yesterday you were at the unveiling of the new uh, Love the Ave Lovelock sculpture in the Nye Street Pocket Park, and I'm looking at some photos of it. It really is. It's, it's something that, you know, displays the message that they're trying to, to go with with Love the Ave and also, you know, representative of New Bedford as well.
2: Oh, yes, without a doubt. You know, I just, it was such a great event, um, you know, getting to see the community come together um anytime like that it's just marvelous and you know for me what was great is once they actually unveiled the sculpture the the murmuring that happened of like oh well is that you know some people said it looked like a whale's tail into into a shape of a heart some people said it looked like two birds kissing or you know and then what does the net represent what do the locks represent um, you know, so it's just interesting to hear the discussion that was surrounded by it and knowing it's going to be a permanent fixture there for people to come and enjoy. Uh, and really, it, it encourages that dialogue, not only to discuss what the sculpture means, but also just to have that discussion about where's New Bedford going? Where have we gone? And I think that's what the sculpture really speaks to is the past, present and future of New Bedford.
1: Absolutely. And will, will you both be taking part in National Night Out on Tuesday at the Golem School?
2: Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I will not be able to. This is probably one of the first National Night Out that I'm going to be missing. Um, but yeah, I, I will not be there for this year's National Night Out. But that, just so people know, is Tuesday, August 1st. This time it's at uh, the Carney Academy, Carney um, Elementary School, on at 247 Elm Street, New Bedford. I know that people are used to it being at Gomes School. We have a different site this year. And that will be taking place from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. So I hope a lot of families will be out to enjoy that.
3: I plan to be there. It should, it's always a fun time. Uh, hope And the weather forecast is that it won't be this type of humidity. So hopefully people will come out and enjoy. You know, there's always food and entertainment and games. And, of course, there's uh, all the resource tables. And uh, Council Burgo was correct. I realized after I mentioned that to you yesterday, Kim, that they moved the location. So we will be at. Uh, carney this year not at Gomes, and they have a nice area in there in the back of the school so it should be um it should be very nice there as well i don't know if we can land the helicopter there but we'll see
1: well as long as they let you turn the lights on on one of the police cruisers that's all that really matters right you, you know get, you've many the siren.
3: years ago before council burgo was born speaking of ages um, <laughs> we used to. <laughs> not only do we have national light out but we used to take a caravan of cruisers and we used to go in different directions with sirens, blaring and stuff to give attention to, you know, public safety, et cetera. We don't do that anymore. But that was always fun. That's right in the front seat. That is the back seat of the crew. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we will talk to you next week, Council President Morad, when you'll have uh, Councilor Carney with you. Councilor Burgo, thank you as well for joining us. And, uh, and I hope that you both have a great but not too hot weekend. You as
3: thank well. Thank you for the time.
1: Yep. All right. Thank you so much. That is Council President Linda Moran and Counselor at Large Shane Burgo. And right now, we are going to go into the newsroom with Adam Bass on the other side. More of your phone calls at 508 996 0500. But now, let's get all the big stories of the day with Adam.
4: Former President Trump is facing more charges in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case. Special Counsel Jack Smith filed a new indictment Thursday alleging Trump requested security footage at the Florida estate be deleted. Trump was hit with an additional charge of willful retention of national defense information and two additional obstruction counts. Speaking of the former president, he is set to campaign in Pennsylvania this weekend, but one mayor says the candidate still owes his city for the last time he had an event there. Erie Mayor Joe Schemberg tells GoErie.com that because the city has yet to receive more than $35,000 Trump owes from a rally in 2018, They will attempt to get the former president to pay in advance this time. Schember says it's important to remember it's taxpayer money being used to pay overtime for police officers to help ensure Trump's visit is safe for everyone. Saturday's rally is set for 6 o'clock p.m. at Erie Insurance Arena. LeBron James' oldest son, Bronny, is being discharged from the hospital after suffering a sudden cardiac arrest. The medical emergency happened during a workout at USC where the 18-year-old plays basketball. A senior sinai medical group doctor says James is showing encouraging signs of recovery and is at home resting. A new survey revealed half of Americans see China as the largest threat to the U.S. economy and national security. That's according to the Pew Research Center. Officials say the survey shows an increase of negative attitudes towards China since the country has been the main focus in politics. Hundreds of workers in Chicago's Loretto Hospital are prepared to walk out on Monday. Perry Williams has more. The union representing employees at the Westside Medical Center say contract talks ended abruptly. And we are poised to strike on Monday. Despite our best attempts to negotiate and get through to Loretto Management, they walked away from the table yesterday. The workers are pushing for better wages and safer staffing. Employees set to walk off the job include mental health workers, radiology technicians, inpatient transporters, housekeeping workers, and emergency technicians. I'm Perry Williams. The historic launch of a Falcon Heavy rocket is being postponed again. The triple core rocket was set to blast off Thursday night from Kennedy Space Center, but SpaceX ended up scrubbing the launch to complete vehicle checkouts. The rocket is carrying the largest communication satellite ever built. The launch has been rescheduled for tonight. Trader Joe's is recalling nearly 11,000 cases of one of its store-brand soups because they may contain bugs. The FDA says in a release Thursday that Trader Joe's unexpected broccoli cheddar soup has insects in the frozen broccoli florets. The 20-ounce soup containers were sold at stores in California, Connecticut, Florida, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Washington State. They are being voluntarily recalled by the manufacturer based in Oxford, Pennsylvania. And extreme heat can take a toll on your mental health. Sarah Lee Kessler reports. Psychologists say triple-digit feel-like temps can trigger aggression,
3: self-harm, and a jump in psychiatric emergency room visits.
1: Extreme heat can lower our general ability to be resilient.
3: Dr. Joseph Colasso, a clinical psychologist in North Jersey, says if you're dealing with substance abuse or pre-existing mental illness, you're especially vulnerable to relapse.
4: If you are taking psychotropic medication, it's important to understand that several types of these medications can impact our body's ability to regulate temperature. I'm Sarah Lee Kessler. In sports, the Red Sox are in San Francisco, California tonight. to face off against the Giants in a game one of three series. First pitch at 10.015 p.m. And now here's your ABC6 local weather forecast. Well, we have a heat advisory in effect, as well as an air quality alert and a rip current risk all through this evening. So if you're planning
1: on being outdoors, be cautious today. It's going to be hot, mostly sunny and humid, high near 88. Tonight, mainly clear and humid, 71 and for tomorrow, it'll still be humid with a mix of sun and clouds and some showers and storms passing through the afternoon, high near 85. From the ABC6 Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Skylar Spindler on New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420
4: WBSM. It is currently 78 degrees right now. In New Bedford. I'm Adam Bass, WBSM News. Stay up to date with New Bedford's News Talk Station, WBSM, and get breaking news alerts and podcasts with the WBSM app. Think of it as breakfast for your
0: mind. Back to the Tim Weisberg Show on WBSM. Extreme. I rock a mic like a vandal, light up a stage and watch a chump like a candle, dance, crush the speaker that booms, I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom, deadly, when I play a dope melody, anything less than the best is a felony, love it or leave it, you better gain weight, play. you better hit bulls out the kid don't play. play, if there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it, check out the hook while my DJ revolves
4: it, Ice. Ice.
1: Bet you would like your house to feel like ice, ice baby on a day like today, right? You're going to be running those air conditioners, or maybe you're lucky enough to have central air, but you're going to be running those all day long, trying to cool down with all of the extreme heat that will be happening outside. But what happens if that air conditioning is just leaking right out your windows, leaking right out your roof? You're just wasting money, and you're not staying Ice Ice Baby, right? So if you want to make sure that you can keep all of that cold air in when we have these heat waves then you want to call Precision Window and Kitchen in New Bedford. They will come down. They will take a look at your windows. They will see if anything needs to be sealed up. They will see if anything needs to be replaced. They will see if maybe you need double pane glass in those windows. They will be able to tell you exactly how they can help make your home more energy efficient. Also, they can take a look at your roof as well. Maybe you've got some leaks in your roof. Maybe there's some uh, some panels that are falling apart. Maybe there's some tiles that are falling up. Maybe maybe you just think that it's time to get a new one, right? No matter what it might be precision window and kitchen can take care of you they can also put in new entry doors see people that have like all the all the brand new windows brand new roof they don't think about the fact that you're still losing some of that cold air out your entry doors if those aren't insulated properly so they can take a look at those as well no matter what it may be They can get the job done. They can get it done quickly. They can get it done correctly. And they can eliminate any middlemen because they've got all of the stuff that they need to do the job right there in their workshop behind the showroom at 1111 at Cushion Avenue. You can stop by there and you can talk to them. Or you can go to precisionwindowandkitchen.com to find out more and to sign up to get a free quote. That's precisionwindowandkitchen.com. We're going to take a break and be back in just a few moments. And welcome back in 508-996-0500. That is the number to call in and chime in. A reminder that coming up at 9 a.m., Marcus and Chris will be broadcasting South Coast now live from the Museum of Madeira and Heritage. It is going to be a pre-feast extravaganza. They're going to be talking with all kinds of folks involved with the upcoming 107th Feast of the Blessed Sacrament. They're going to be talking about some of the things that you can expect. They're going to be talking about things like the new security measures that are going to be in place. They're going to talk about what you can expect that you are used to seeing there over the years, what might be new. They'll talk about the food. They'll talk, of course, about the Madeira wine. All kinds of great information for you. And what I love about it is I I was down there last year doing the show and I got the chance to learn so much just about Madeiran history in just the the three hours that I was on the air because it wasn't something that I was very familiar with. And if you've never been down to that museum, it's going to be open during the feast hours. So you're going to be able to go in there for free and check it out and see everything that they have to offer and learn about the Madeiran culture while you are enjoying the Madeiran culture. So I highly recommend it if you haven't been there. It's at 27 Hope Street. That is the address. And, and maybe you want to stop by and wave or drive by and wave to Chris and Marcus as they were out there today. They would love to see you come by and honk the horn and wave. But don't, don't, just don't lay on the horn a whole bunch because, you know, they're going to be on the radio. But if you say, well, where is Hope Street? It's, it's at the corner of Hope Street and Belleville Avenue. So if you head down to like, you know, Amaral's Market, if you know where Amaral's Market is uh, in the Mitsubishi of New Bedford, it's like right between the, those. There's a gas station and then right across from the gas station, you'll see the Museum of Madeiran Heritage. It is a great place to visit. I highly recommend it. But it's also a very important place to, to learn and to learn about one of the key cultures that helps make New Bedford so great. 508-996-0500. If you want to call in and discuss any of the things that we've been discussing this morning, as you heard with the counselors, you know, there was some concern over the possible contamination at the Goodyear site and whether or not there would be a good spot for a school. And as as explained, you know, this is something that was tested and checked out ahead of time before this site was targeted as the place to build this new school. And really, if you want to get more in-depth in the story, head on over to NewBedfordLight.org. You can read Jack's piece on it. He talks uh, far more about you know why that site works, why some people thought that it didn't work, why that site was better over building it on the current Duval school site. And also, you'll find out a little bit more about why it has to be this way, why you can't just build two new schools he really gets into the funding mechanisms and why they have to act now and the important thing is and we I, I didn't mention this with the counselors and i should have if they don't move forward right now with this site they fall out of the queue with the massachusetts school building authority and then you got to wait till you get another chance at that and it could be years years for that to happen so right now the massachusetts school building authority is willing to work with you on building the school you better be ready to build that school or else they're just going to move on to the next project. It's not like they have representatives that work with every city and say, "Okay, well, you know, we can we can do many of these all at one time." Nope. They're going to be very particular about what projects they're working on, and if you are if your time is is now, then your time is now. You're not deferring to later. Uh, you know, can you give us another 6 months? Nope. You've got to be ready now. And Jack explains all that. Uh, in better detail, in his piece at newbedfordlight.org. So I think that, you know, uh, people are still going to be reluctant to want to see, especially when you had two separate schools, two separate identities for those school communities, bringing them together. But I also, you know, agree with what Council President Morad was saying. Bringing them together now and keeping them, you know, starting them off together with other students from outside of their own neighborhoods will better help prepare them for when they get to middle school and then to high school it will better prepare them for the fact that school is the place to socialize and to expand your social circle so that it it, because let's face it when you get to be a middle school student making new friends is hard it's a lot easier to make new friends when you're an elementary school student especially when you're all brand new and you're all going through it for the first time it's a lot easier to make friends as opposed to being a middle school kid. And trust me, I've been there. I was the middle school kid that didn't grow up with the rest of the kids that were in my class and immediately became the outsider and suffered as a result of that. So I think that, you know, you will see a much better sense of community in the later years of the middle and high school from the kids that come through the school. Anyway, 508-996-0500. I have to take another break. Back in a few. You
0: are listening to the Tim Weisberg Show on WBSM.
1: I can't hear that song and not think about when I used to do the locker room here on WBSM with Jack Peterson and Evan Russo. I don't know if you remember those days. I think we were, what, originally, I think we were on Monday nights. We moved around the schedule quite a bit. But I think we started off on Monday nights. And I remember I was in, I think I was still in, no, maybe I was out of college. Yeah, I was out of college by the time that they reached out. But when they were starting that show... I got uh, an email or a phone call from from Evan saying that he was starting this new sports show with Jack and that they wanted me at the time I was the wrestling columnist for the Standard Times. I was writing a pro wrestling column every week. And he said, we would love to have you come on for five minutes every week and talk about what's going on in the world of pro wrestling because it was super hot at that time. And I said, well, I'd love to come in and be part of the show like you know, be in studio for it. And he said, yeah, come on in. And it turned into me becoming a co-host. And now look at me here twenty-one 20, 21 years later, 508-996-0500. You're next on WBSM.
0: Oh. Commercial with a little child. I hope you guys obeyed child labor laws.
1: That was, uh, that's Stephanie Burke's daughter, Maddie. And, right, uh, she, right. she came in here to, to kind of intern a little bit. She wanted to learn a little bit about the radio one day. So, uh, we, we had her come in and see how we do things and, we had to record that.
0: That's cool. Yeah, the other night with a council of Burgo, I was there cause that's right around the corner from my house. My family has an interesting connection to that. My family's been in this part of the North End for over 90 years. But that actual spot, the building that was there, the four story building with digital insurance on the bottom, mm-hmm. my mother lived there when that building caught fire in 1989, I think it was. And um, so, and the builder, the guy who built that statue, grew up a few buildings down, uh, Peter Francis. So it was a good turnout. It was over 100 people, um, very well represented, different organizations. There was four or five different organizations that pulled that together going forward in that master plan for the whole North End. So it's not just about the avenue, it's about the North End.
1: Yeah, and it's a so, it's a beautiful sculpture. It's a, it's a great addition to the city for sure.
0: And I like the different things. Some people thought it was through swans kissing. Somebody thought it was an upside-down It really was engaging, so.
1: That's what art is. It gets you talking.
0: You have a good, safe, and wonderful weekend.
1: Bye-bye. You as well. Take care. Uh, all right. That'll do it. I do got to take a final break here. Um, and, uh, if we have any time left, you can give me a call 508 996 0500, but back in a few. And that's going to do it for me for today. I hope.